If you will, turn your Bibles this morning once more to Romans chapter 12. We've been working our way through this great how-to chapter in the Bible, and this morning we've come to Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Paul writes, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Father, we pray that you would bless us now, even as I try to exercise a gift to teach your people that... Um, you would help us stick close by your word, uh, that we would receive your word with cheerfulness, uh, that we would receive your word with faith, that we would receive it um, with application and obedience, and that we would be reminded in all of these things of how Jesus is our hope and our motivation to serve you, to use our gifts for your glory. So help us, move us today to do just that, to use our gifts for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. August has been a busy month um, at our church as I've been thinking about it. Um, Just in the last month, let me tell you what I've witnessed happening. Uh, Twelve different people teaching Sunday school or M&Ms with the children. Uh, Eight different people here leading the singing. Four different people playing instruments 15 different people working in the nursery, six different counters, five different people greeting at the door, four people on the soundboard, several of you making phone calls um, to folks who are missing or discouraged, some of you sending cards as well to those same sorts of folks. Lawn work out here at the church, lawn work for other members, Um, vegetables being brought for other members, flowers being given uh, for Sunday mornings, people helping one another with moving uh, the parking lot project that's ongoing, free books and tracks bought by one, brought by one family uh, for you all, electrical repairs, downspout repairs, roofing repairs, a wedding shower thrown for Heather, uh, work on the church garden, people receiving rides to and from church, meals uh, or the fellowship meal uh, that was taken care of by some of our ladies, house cleaning for other members of the church, one-on-one Bible study between different people, financial help given from one to another, Uh, all these things just in the last 28 days, not including services to the church, which I'm forgetting right now, things that you have done that I don't know about, Um, and not including evangelism that you're doing or prayer that you are praying, um, which is always happening out and about behind the scenes. So now what does all this tell me? Well, it tells me it's been a busier than usual August. First of all, August is usually a very slow month, it seems like. But all of these things that you all have been doing tells me um, that Paul is right on the money when he says in verse 6 that we have gifts. He's writing this to all sorts of normal Christians, and he says to them all, we have gifts, all of us have things that God has given us to do for his kingdom. Even in a small church, we can praise God for all the different ways that Different people have different gifts and are able to use them for the Lord. 
we do really have gifts, dozens of different ones in this family that can be used to encourage one another, that can be used to strengthen the church, that can be used to expand God's kingdom, and ultimately all these things for the glory of God's name. So Paul is right. We really do have gifts. Each believer in this room has one or two or more gifts. Now, I want you to think this morning about what yours are. I don't want you to get yourself tied up in knots. This is something that some people, for, for reasons I'm not sure of, but people sometimes agonize over this question. What is my gift? I don't know what my gift is. Well, you shouldn't get too worried about that. Just ask yourself two simple questions. What has God made me good at? That's easy enough, right? Hopefully you can say, well, there's something I know how to do. What has God made you good at? And then the follow-up question is, what has God made you good at that you've been able to use for his kingdom? That's a good way to tell what your gifts are. How has God blessed you in a way that not everybody can do what you can do? And then how have you been able to use something like that for his kingdom? If you have a talent, if you have a gift, if you have an ability that God has obviously used to help other people in his church to, to advance his kingdom, then that's a good idea of where your gifting lies. Now, we could split hairs about what is a talent and what's a gift, but I think what Paul is going to say this morning applies to all those things. And so you just ask yourself, where is God using me? What can I do that God uses to bless his people? We have gifts, Paul says. So just think about it. Keep it in mind. What are yours? What are you good at? What has God used you to do? Maybe for you it's a specialized ability that very few people can do what you can do. And maybe for some of you, it's just as simple as, I don't know if I have any special ability, but God's just given me energy and the ability to just do what needs to be done. Whatever it is for you, if it's at one end of the spectrum or the other or somewhere in between, think about your gift this morning. Think about your role in God's kingdom and in the church this morning and let these verses apply to it. And so as we proceed, I just want to give you, first of all, two reminders from the very first verse there, verse 6. Two reminders about our gifts. Think about what yours is, two reminders about it. The first is very simple. Our gifts, Paul reminds us, really are gifts. We said this last week, we say it again. We have gifts, he said. So we won't dwell on this since we dwelt on it last week. But just to remind you, I didn't make myself a preacher. It's a gift. If you're good with kids, you didn't make yourself good with kids. That was a gift. You didn't create your singing voice if you have one. That's a gift from God. You didn't manufacture your ability to work with your hands. God gave you that ability. If you have administrative ability, you didn't administrate the fact that you have administrative ability, right? Administrate a lot of other things, but God's the one that gave you the ability to do that. And the list could go on, with the point being, we have gifts. We're not self-made as Christian servants, Now, as we said last week, we must hone our gifts. We do hone our gifts, Lord willing, but God is the one who's given us something that we can hone. And the upshot of this, of course, is just as we said last week, that if our abilities, whatever they are, are actually gifts from the Holy Spirit, then boasting is excluded, right? Do you ever think of how silly it is for someone to look in the mirror at their physical appearance and be prideful over that? As though we've done anything to make ourselves look the way we are? You can apply that the other way, right? I said last week, I look in the mirror and things aren't uh, as dazzling as, they, as I used to think they were anyway. And so God made me the way I look, right? It's foolish for a person to look in the mirror and to be 
prideful and to be puffed up about the way they look. You came out that way. Well, what Paul is saying is it's the same thing with the spiritual gifts. You came out born again spiritually and God giving you some things to do and some abilities that you didn't create yourself. And therefore, boasting about them is excluded. Looking long at the mirror, in the mirror at your particular gifts is pointless. Now, you can look at the mirror and you can see the gifts that God has given you. You can see that God has put some value to his kingdom inside of you. But thank God for that. Remember, it's a gift. Boasting's excluded. And if they really are gifts, then what we should do is use them to honor the giver, right? God's given you the ability. He's given you whatever it is, not so you can look at it in the mirror, but so that you can reflect his glory back to him, so that you might use his gift for him. That's why August was a blessing, because there were lots of different gifts being used this month. And you could have just stood in the mirror looking at your gifts, or you could have used your gifts on yourself, but many of you chose in this past month and lots of months before that to be here or to be out among God's people or to be out among people who need to be God's people and use your gifts there instead of staring in the mirror. That's the beautiful thing about using our gifts. We use them for God. So that's the first reminder. Very simply, our gifts really are gifts. Verse 6a, we use them for God and not simply for ourselves. But a second reminder, whatever the gift you have is, whatever the abilities God has given you, a second reminder also from verse 6 is that our gifts differ. Our gifts differ, and that's by design, Paul says. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, then we should do this. But the point right now is our gifts are different. And God's made it that way. We're different according to the grace given to us. Twelve different people, I told you, have taught the Bible in various places and times in our church this month. Seven different people were out on the building and grounds doing manual labor, and they're not all the same people. Different people have different gifts, and that's by design. If all of us were Bible teachers, then the fellowship meal would be pretty lousy, wouldn't it? The building would be falling apart, and so on. The moms would be distracted through the service if everyone was a Bible teacher and no one was a nursery worker. Everyone has different gifts. They may be different in type. They may be different in degree. Some people have the ability to do a little bit of teaching. Some people more. Some people can do a little bit of cooking. Some people can organize the whole event. Some people can sing on the worship team. Some people can sing in the pew. The point is our gifts are different in type and in degree, and that's by design. It's according to the grace given to us. And if our gifts are different by design, that's another reason for humility, isn't it? If your gift is more visible or more pronounced or more useful, quote-unquote, than someone else's gift, you can't look down your nose on the less gifted person or the differently gifted person, can you? First of all, you didn't make yourself gifted at all, and you didn't make yourself gifted different from them. So what if God chose to give me this gift and you that gift, or you that gift and someone else this gift? It's all according to the grace given to us. It's God's design. And so no one can say, well, I'm more or I'm less or I'm more important or I'm less important. And by the same token, the fact that we're different by design should prevent us from comparing ourselves in the other direction too, shouldn't it? We shouldn't ever be jealous 
or resentful or feeling inferior because someone else has a more pronounced gift or a more public gift than we do. If we're looking at other people's gifts and feeling inferior, then we've missed the point. This is not a contest to see who has a better gift or a more important gift. The fact that we're all different is by God's perfect design so that we would each have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. God doesn't want us all to be the same. That's what Paul is saying. He doesn't want us to all serve in the same capacities. In fact, we could go back to Paul's analogy about the body in verses 4 and 5 and say that. Where would we be if the body was filled with eyes but no eyelids, right? You don't want more eyes and less eyelids. You want the right amount of both, lest the eyelids have nothing to do or lest the eyes eventually stop working because there's nothing to help them spread the moisture across them. You see, we need all the different parts of the body, and that's what Paul argues here and in 1 Corinthians about the church. How would the sermon go if there was a preacher but there were no nursery workers or if there was no one to help keep the air conditioning running or no one to make sure that the lights work? be a different story this morning, wouldn't it, if we had no lights and no air conditioning? And so we need all the gifts. We're different by design. It's not about superiority or inferiority. It's about God's good design to make many different body parts that become one comprehensive whole that functions properly. So those are just two reminders. Paul helps us remember in verse 6 that our gifts really are gifts and that our gifts differ by God's design. Two reminders, but now as we read on, I want you to see that Paul also speaks of seven gifts. Two reminders, seven gifts. The list that Paul gives here in verses 6 through 8 is, is of course, not exhaustive. I want to say that up front. There are only seven things listed here. There are a dozen or more other gifts at least listed elsewhere in the New Testament. And as I said, depending on how tight of a definition we want to have of gifts or talents or abilities, there are lots of ministries that we might not consider gifts in themselves, but that fall under one of these broad categories that the Bible lists as gifts. So what am I saying? I'm saying if you have a gift or some sort of ministry talent that's not on this list, that's okay. This list is not exhaustive, and even the lists that are elsewhere in the Scripture are not exhaustive of all the things that God would have us do in the life of his kingdom and in the life of the local church. The lists aren't exhaustive, certainly not this one. Paul just lists seven things, seven spiritual gifts. And I just want to walk through them briefly and describe each one. He mentions them individually for a reason. He wants us to consider them, and so we're going to consider each one of these seven briefly. First, in verse 6, you see that he speaks of the gift of prophecy. Prophecy. Now, note well that he's not here speaking of the office of prophet, but the gift of prophecy. And there is a difference. There were prophets by office in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Elijah, and so on. And what they said was, thus saith the Lord, no questions about it, no need for anyone to come behind them and check their word. But now here he's speaking about the gift of prophecy. And this is a little bit different. The gift of prophecy is an ability to speak from God, yes, but words to be tested as we read elsewhere in the New Testament. So what's going on? Here is that Paul is speaking, and I won't go into all the details, but he's speaking, to put it most simply, about what we would normally call the preaching gift. Not just a teaching gift. We're going to see in the next verse that that's a separate gift. 
but here a prophetic preaching gift. Sometimes the prophetic gift has to do with being able to foretell the future, but most of the time, even in the Old Testament, we're talking about the prophets, capital P, they're mainly preaching. They're not mainly telling the future, though they do that. They're mainly preaching. And as I said, there's a difference between the preaching gift and the teaching gift, um, and we'll see that as we move along, but it's hard to put your finger on exactly what that is. The best way I can tell you is you'll know it when you hear it. There's a difference between preaching and teaching. And I would describe it like this. Teaching is when you go and you listen to someone opening the scriptures and you say, I understand the Bible better because of what he has been teaching us. Preaching, on the other hand, is when you leave the service going, God spoke today. I felt like that preacher knew exactly what was in my heart, and I left feeling like God had a word exactly for me. Now, some men God seems to gift in this second way, with this second sort of unction. Not that every time they, they preach that everyone in the audience feels that way, but there is this gift of preaching that God gives to be able to take a message from the Scripture and the Holy Spirit to drive it home directly to people's hearts in an unusual way, a different way than just simply walking through the passage and understanding it. So there's a gift of preaching, Paul says. There's also, he says in verse 7, the gift of service. Service. What is that? I think that might be one of Paul's ways of of bringing a lot of people under the umbrella who normally think, well, I have a talent, but I don't have a gift. So if you have a, a talent, let's call it for electrical work, or cooking, or handling money, or childcare, or music, or cleaning, and you go, those things aren't listed in the New Testament. Maybe I don't have a gift after all. I mean, I can use this for the church, but it's not a spiritual gift. Well, if you have something like that that you're able to use for the Lord, I think it probably fits under this umbrella of the gift of service. Maybe you're not a preacher or a teacher. Maybe you're not a leader or an evangelist, but you love to work in God's house. You love to do what you can do, and that's the gift of service. Somebody who just says, I'll do what needs to be done. And happy is the church who has dozens of people who have this gift. Third, he speaks of the gift of teaching. Verse 7b. Remember I told you that he speaks of preaching, and now he speaks differently of teaching. Two different gifts. Preaching is this powerful sort of direct message with unction from the Holy Spirit. People leave saying God spoke today. It was exactly what I needed to hear. But now he speaks of teaching. And in teaching, be careful to hear this well. It's not that when someone teaches the Bible that people leave saying, well, God did not speak today. That's not the difference. It's not that God speaks in preaching and not in teaching. But when you're when someone is teaching the Bible, the overwhelming sense is is not that you're stricken to the heart and overpowered by the Spirit when there's this prophetic gift, but that you're listening and you go, boy, that guy really today helped me understand the Bible better. Now, here's something else, well, also. There should always be an overlap between preaching and teaching. If someone can preach, but you're not helped to understand the Bible better, that's a failure. Even if your heart is really stirred up, preaching is from the Bible. On the other hand, if someone can teach the Bible and explain it really well, but no one's heart is moved, something's missing as well. And so these two things, there's always an overlap. But the point is some men really have a gift for teaching and some men really have a gift for preaching and some men maybe have them both. They should always overlap, but they are different. This morning, 
probably would fall more into the category of teaching. I'm just trying to walk through and explain these gifts to you. Maybe I'll preach before I'm finished. You can be the judge of that. But there's a teaching gift. Fourth, there's the gift of exhortation. Verse 8a. Exhortation. Now, this might confuse you even more. Because sometimes we use the words preaching, teaching, and exhortation like they're all really the same thing. It's just when somebody stands up and talks about the Bible. But again, Paul sees a difference between all three. So what is now exhortation in contrast to preaching and teaching? Well, another word to translate the word exhortation is the word encouragement. Exhortation, I believe what Paul is saying here, is the ability to come alongside someone who is struggling and restore their spirits. John Stott, as he defines this gift, helpfully points out that exhortation, unlike preaching especially, and really unlike most instances of teaching, exhortation often happens in one-on-one friendships, can happen in a card or a letter, can happen in a biblical counseling session, and sometimes it happens from the lectern or from the pulpit. Some of you have this gift, I think. Some of you are able to notice when someone's down or when they're off track, when something's just not quite right, and you're able to come to them and to emotionally and spiritually pick them up. It's really valuable to the church to have people who can see that and do that. And it's a good introduction to evangelism as you see lost people struggling and you're able to come alongside and help them and eventually begin to share Jesus with them. So that's the fourth thing, exhortation. Fifth, Paul speaks of the gift of giving. Again, in verse 8, giving. Now, as you know, every Christian should give to the Lord's work, right? When we do the offering, we don't say, now, those of you who have the gift of giving, this part will be for you, and the rest of you can just let the plate pass you by. All of us should give to the church, to the work of the kingdom, to the poor, the Bible says. Every Christian should do that liberally, even. With 10%, the Bible seems to say, as a baseline. But here the apostle says that there are some Christians who have a unique gift in this area. This is their thing. They just love to give away money. Now, some of you are listening to this and going, that's it's insane. I've never, I've never even thought about this before. Well, maybe you don't have this gift, but some people actually love to give away money. And it, just know that it's a spiritual gift. It's not a financial situation. In other words, just because you may not feel like you have a lot of money doesn't mean that you couldn't have the gift of giving, right? It doesn't have to do with how much money you have. It's just your desire to give, whether you're rich or you're poor, simply because God has given you this heart to give. So all of us should give. All of us should give generously to the Lord's work and to the poor, but some of us have a gift for it, and we need to recognize that and exercise that gift. And let me say this as an aside. It's not in the notes, but if your spouse has this gift, you need to recognize that and find ways for your family to exercise it as well and not squelch their spiritual gift because you feel like you don't have it. You can trust the Lord that if God gave your spouse the gift of giving, that's okay, and he'll take care of you both. Sixth, he speaks of the gift of leadership. Verse 8, C, leadership. Now again, the people who teach and preach are already exercising leadership by virtue of the fact that they're standing up and saying, this is what God says, and this is what we need to do. So there's leadership happening all the time, but Paul is saying now there are some people who have a special, particular gift in this ability to organize, to lead people, to execute plans, to get folks to follow them and follow through. Some people have this gift, and every church needs people like this. 
people who can take a plan, have somebody put it in their hands, and then go execute it and get people to put it together and to execute it with them. Now, the church needs these kind of people, of course, in its eldership and uh, in its deacon body. Those people are set aside by design as leaders and should be so. But also we need these kind of people in other ministry areas as well. Someone has to be in charge of work projects that go on. Someone has to be in charge of meals. Someone has to rally the troops when it's time to practice music and lead them out. Someone has to lead the missions committee. Someone has to plan the outreach events. Someone has to plan service events that we may do for one another or in the community and so on. There's always a need for people who can say, I can lead this, I can take the ball and run with it, and hopefully I can get people to follow me and run as well. Now, this doesn't mean that people who have the gift of leadership are necessarily going to be leaders out in the community, that they're going to be the CEO of a good to great company. It just means that God has given many people in the church the ability to lead, some in small ways, some in bigger ways. But if you have that gift, I encourage you to find ways to use it in service to the Lord. Seventh, Paul lists here the gift of mercy there at the end of verse 8. Mercy. We say the same thing here as we said about giving. Every Christian ought to give. Every Christian ought to show mercy, right? So if you don't have the gift of mercy, that doesn't mean that you can just ignore people that are sick or bereaved or hungry or whatever it is. But there are some people who just have a particular softness of heart given by God toward bereaved people or sick people or dying people or mentally perplexed people or handicapped people or depressed people, abused people, poor people, and so on. And the gift of mercy also is a tender heart towards people who have fallen into sin, that you long to see them restored. We all long to see them restored, but there are some people who say, this is God's ministry for me. Some people have a real gift for meeting needs of hurting people. And maybe that's you. Maybe that is you. If it seems that you're unusually aware of struggling people and your heart is peculiarly tender to them, maybe you have the gift of mercy. And again, you must be careful to exercise it. So again, Paul gives this list, seven things that we've covered. It's not an exhaustive list. But let me just ask you again, what has God given you to do for his kingdom? What is your unique ability? Which of your abilities has God particularly used to the spiritual help of other people or to the strengthening of the church or to the advance of his kingdom? What can you do that God has used for his glory? Maybe it's on this list. Maybe it's not on this list. Maybe you're not even sure what it is yet. And maybe this sermon will get you going on a bit of a quest to just ask that question. What has God given me to do? I'd love to hear from you if you're trying to figure that out. Most of the time, people outside of you can see what your gifts are, maybe before you are able to recognize them. But many of us, I think, will have read this passage or just thought about the questions I've been asking you and be able to say, yes, we have gifts. I kind of know what God has given me to do. So what is it for you? If you know what it is, is it on Paul's list? Is it something else? Whatever it is, I want you to to keep it in mind now for a few more minutes, your particular gift, so that you can apply uh, these final words to it. I want to give you three final exhortations from Paul's words here. Let me review first. What have we covered so far? Paul's given us two reminders. Our gifts are really gifts, and by design, they're different from one another. And then he gave us seven gifts. 
and we just listed them. So really, I've given you nine points so far and just tricked you into thinking there were two points. Now I'm going to give you three more disguised as one. Okay, so the final heading, the final three headings, however you want to read it, is three exhortations. Two reminders, seven gifts, now three exhortations. The first exhortation from Paul's words here is simply this. Use your gifts. Use them. Did you notice that as Paul listed the gifts, he gave instructions for how they're to be used? Did you see that in verses 6, 7, and 8? And we'll come back to what he says about how they're to be used in a moment. But just notice that he speaks about how they're to be used. And if he speaks about how they're to be used, then we can assume that he expects that we're going to use them, right? If he's going to tell us how to use them, he's assuming that we will use them. Now, I know that seems to be common sense, but the whole reason he has to speak about spiritual gifts is because we're always tempted to let ours lie dormant, aren't we? So he says, use your gifts. Make sure that you use them. That's why I took the time to work through Paul's list and why I took the time at the beginning to list a couple dozen ways that different ones of you have been serving. And that's why I've been asking you what your niche is. Because I want something that I've said to trigger in your mind that particular gift or gifts that God has given you so that right at this point in the sermon, you would have that in your mind and you would know exactly what God is saying to you when you hear Paul and the Holy Spirit behind him saying, now, you know what your gift is, use your gifts. Use what it is that you have in your mind that God has given you to do. And so the question simply is, are you doing that? Are you using your gift or is it lying dormant? Are you using it consistently, or does it fade in and out in your life? A few weeks back on a Wednesday night, Charles preached about spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he reminded you that our servant ministry survey is coming up in October and November when we send that thing in the mail to you and say, how can you serve the church and the kingdom through the church in the coming year? And I just want to piggyback on what he said and remind you that that's coming in a couple of months and remind you and encourage you to ask yourself what your gifts really are and to go ahead and tell yourself, I'm going to use my gifts. When that survey comes and when this new year comes, I'm going to use what God has given me for his glory. And I encourage you to start using your gifts now if you're not. Even if you don't have an official servant ministry role, you can use the gifts that God has given you. So that's the first thing, really simple. Use your gifts. The second thing is a little less obvious But it's this, use your gifts. Use your gifts. This is what Paul is saying to us, particularly in verse 7 and then the beginning of verse 8. Did you notice he says, if you have the gift of service, use it to serve. If you have the gift of teaching, use it to teach. If you have the gift of exhortation, use it to exhort. And again, it may seem like Paul is stating the obvious. He is stating the obvious, isn't he? If you have the gift of exhortation, then use it to exhort. But sometimes we overlook the obvious, don't we? Sometimes the person who has the gift of service is wearing himself out because when he ought to be serving, he finds himself teaching. And sometimes the person whose gift is teaching wears herself out because when she ought to be teaching, she finds herself doing other things that other people are fully capable of doing. So it's not just real easy that we would take the gifts that we have and use our gifts. We're so often going over here and over there and doing other things and neglecting the things that God has given us to do, or at least not doing them as well as we might. 
And what needs to happen then, Paul says, is that each of us needs to find out what our gifts are and then use our own gifts. Not anyone else's, but our own. Use your gifts, he's saying. And there are just two points of application to that. Really simple. Some of us, perhaps, need to back off a little bit and to remember that we don't have to do everything. Some of us need to be, able, be okay to say, someone else will do this better than me if I'll stand down and give them a chance. But then others of us, on the other end of the spectrum, are not being as diligent with our gifts as we could be, and we need to use them so that those other people will be free to stand down and focus on what they're good at. You see how it works both ways? If someone does everything, they've got to stand down so that someone else can use their gift. But if someone's not using their gifts, they need to step up so the other person can stand down and do what they're good at. Now, some of us, maybe one or two, are right in the balance. We know what our gifts are. We're not trying to do too much, but we're not doing too little either. But most people in most churches are imbalanced one way or the other. In most churches, there are a few people who try to do almost everything even things that they're not very good at. And they've got to be able to let go. And then in most churches, there are other folks who need to step up so those other people can let go and focus on their own gifts. Now, I know we're a small church, but I really feel like if Paul could say this to the church at Rome, he could say it to us as well. I feel confident that we can do everything that God is calling us to do without anyone being overloaded if we will each simply exercise our own gifts and refrain from trying to wear ourselves out exercising everyone else's so paul says use your gifts use your gifts and then now a third and final exhortation use your gifts rightly use them rightly now you can notice this idea as you read back through verses six through eight remember i told you paul tells us how we're to use our gifts Verse 6, he says, if your gift is prophecy, use it according to the proportion of your faith. If it's giving, do it with liberality. If it's leadership, do it with diligence. If it's mercy, do it with cheerfulness. He tells us how to use our gifts. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each of those explanations of how we should use our gifts. I think most of them are self-explanatory. I just note that there is a right way to use our gifts and therefore a wrong way to use them. It makes no sense For instance, Paul says to exercise mercy and to have a bad attitude about it, right? It makes no sense to try to exercise leadership skills, but then be lazy. You can't lead people forward if you're not willing to move very quickly yourself. And we could say similar things about every gift that there is. You can use your gift well and for the glory of God and with the right attitude, or you can consider your service a burden and be ungrateful for the gift that God has given you. It really all comes back to what we said way back in verse 1. Why should we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God? Why should we go all out for Him? Why should we, as an application of using our bodies for the Lord, use our spiritual gifts diligently? Why, in short, should we serve the Lord at all with these gifts that He's given us? Because of the mercies of God, Paul says in verse 1. Everything else I'm going to ask you to do, he says, is an overflow of the fact that God has been so merciful to you. I urge you, he says, by the mercies of God, 
to use your spiritual gifts, to do it with diligence and cheerfulness and selflessness and a good attitude. It's because, he says, of the mercies of God that we are able to even have gifts in the first place and that we're motivated to use them. Remember that the mercies that Paul is describing in verse 1 are stained in the blood of his dear son, God's dear son. That's what he's talking about when he speaks of the mercies of God. The mercies of God in Romans 12 is just another name for the good news of Jesus that Paul has been describing in the first 11 chapters of the book. What's the summary of that good news? Maybe it's Romans 5.8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Paul is saying. When you consider that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you, that ought to move you to present your body as a living sacrifice, to use your gifts for the Lord. Christ died for us. Talk about a gift. And if God has given us the gift of his son, then surely we will want to use every other smaller gift that he's given to magnify that son, to sing his praise, to encourage his people, to upbuild his church, to reach this lost community for the kingdom of heaven. Surely we will want to use all the smaller gifts that God has given us to glorify our Father in heaven, who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Paul says, Therefore, verse 1, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And as an application of that, he says in verse 6, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us, is to exercise them accordingly.